Hello and welcome to FinTech Impact. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Before we get started, just a reminder to sign up for my newsletter at jasonpereira.ca for information on all podcasts, blog posts, and TV appearances. Now on to today's show. Today's show, I have Ohad Cement, CEO of True Accord. True Accord is an online digital platform that seeks to take the pain and confrontation out of debt collection. And with that, here's my interview with Ohad. Hello, Ohad. Hello, hello. Thanks for taking the time today. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Good. So, uh, Ohad Sabit of True Accord, tell us about True Accord. True Accord is a machine learning based digital and mobile first collection service that creditors, financial institutions, some of the most well known e commerce brands, and others use when people owe them money. Uh, it's a service that is an anth- antithesis of every harassing, aggressive collection service out there. It is a brand positive experience that consumers actually appreciate and give good reviews to. And it helps recover more money with a good user experience that both creditors and debtors appreciate and, and like and come back and use whenever they have to. Good. And you know what? I'm glad you went there because honestly, when people think of debt collection, they don't, you know, not, not the nicest of considerations pops up in people's minds. And, uh, you know, one of the reasons why it, initially when you emailed me, I was a little bit reluctant until I said, okay, let's have a conversation about how you're doing this differently. And that conversation led to you being on the podcast. So we're going to talk about that experience and what that looks like to use your platform versus the traditional methods. But before we get there, let's talk about what it is that made you or that drove you guys to create a better solution for this space. Right. Well, you know, you're absolutely right in what you said. Look, when people think about consumers in debt, everyone who's not in debt, they think of consumers in debt as one of two things, victims or villains. Right? If they're villains, they're deadbeats, they don't want to pay, uh, we shouldn't beat them on the head with a proverbial hammer, sue them or what have you, or even harass them. If they're victims, we absolutely need to leave them alone and never ask them for the money back. But in reality, we have tens of millions of people a year who are touched by debt collection in the U.S. Credit is a big issue. Life happens to people. And the vast majority of people who don't pay is because something happened to them. Uh, a loved one got sick. They lost their job. They got divorced, a bunch of stuff like that. And I like operating in the grayscale. I like operating in the areas, not not from a legal perspective, like but from a U.S. Debt collection. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. We're, we're yeah. very compliant and very on the good side of regulation, but in the grayscale of human interaction where you have to have an empathetic approach to a complex issue and you can solve it and you can help people kind of end up on the good side of things. And that is something that drives all of us. The positive reviews we get, people who say, I can't believe I'm recommending a collection service after having gone through the debt collection process. That's what gets us uh, keeps us going, and we want to replace the old way of doing things in this industry. Now, my last role was chief risk officer for a lending company, and I saw how important debt collection is and and was to me in my role. But at the same time, nobody wanted to invest improving the debt collection process because the common wisdom was: we hire a lot of people, you make a lot of phone calls, and uh, you hope for the best. The market seemed to be moving away. I mean, if any of your listeners uh, answers a bunch of phone calls every day and is happy to talk to people they don't know that that call them, I mean, I'd be very, very surprised. Uh, We use digital communication. That's what we care about. People don't respond to phone calls. People don't respond to letters. And they don't respond to legalese. So this industry was was basically dead and not knowing it because everything was moving away from their old way of doing business. And finally, 
it really felt like we could build a brand in debt collection. I keep going back to that, the good experience. People who are in a tough spot getting an experience that they appreciate, that they feel humanizes them, and then have an emotional connection to us, which we thought would be able to leverage long-term into giving people additional solutions to manage their financial lives in general. And this is something that we did in 2019 and we'll do a lot more of in 2020. Yeah, it's interesting. It reminds me of a conversation I had with a young uh, man who was, who was basically applying to work in my company. And he worked in debt collections before and he, he basically was their number one collector and he, you know, by a long shot and even got promoted, implemented programs. And you know what the secret was? Treating people like human beings with respect and trying to find something right. that worked for everyone. It was quite astonishing that like that simple realization was lost upon people. So let's Absolutely. talk about how it is that you have solved these problems, how you move this industry into the next, uh, into the current millennium and basically how you're trying to make it a less painful process for everyone involved. Well, let's start from understanding what the baseline is. Sure. What does debt collection look like? Like everybody has some some horrible stories about what debt collectors are and abuse and so on. The majority of people in the debt collection industry are not bad people. They come to work every day like you and me. They want to do a good job. Many of them want to treat people with respect and so on. But the way their incentives are structured and the way the industry is structured under the best circumstances, you're giving people a bad experience because you come to work. You have a low, as a collector, you have a low base, high commission. You got to make your collection numbers. Otherwise you can't feed your family. You get a list of phone calls, of phone numbers, and you have an automated dialer that blasts them with call attempts and you get people on the phone. It's a cold call and your job is to keep them on the phone and get them to pay as much as possible again, or you don't make your commission. Under the best circumstances, that is not a good experience. There's no way to create a good experience. Now for us, we said, what if we flip the model? What if we create a system that based on historical data decides who to contact, when, through what channel, with what voice, what payment offer to put in front of them, and tracks their interaction with our system. We don't track people all all over the web or anything like that. To decide how to follow up, what should the next step be? And offer a great user experience, allow people to do everything from their mobile devices. More than 80% of our traffic is from mobile devices and tablets and try to create to turn everything into a human to machine interaction a self serve highly personalized highly convenient user experience and then only have people involved when the system doesn't know what to do or when people actually want to talk to a person if they call in or they email in which does happen so us compared to traditional agency is like a completely automated marketing and sales campaign compared to a telemarketing campaign it's completely different. The user experience is different. The feel is different. The channels of choice are different. And when people call in, if they do, they are treated by a customer service team that doesn't have commission and is not measured by how much money they collect. So everything is so geared towards a good experience. Like you're basically, you're there, you're actually there and incentivized around service as a exactly. opposed to collections. Exactly. And the reason we collect more is not because we squeeze people for more money. It's because we get a lot more people on payment arrangements that work for them and they just stick to them. And so on average, everybody, every consumer who pays us, pays us less than they would a traditional agency every month. But that adds up over time because we let them customize their payment arrangement to their day. And if they can't make a payment, they can move it. If they need to do, uh, and they need to customize their payment arrangement, they can do it from their phone. Everything is geared towards convenience and flexibility as much as possible. Yeah, I mean, you're starting from a very, a very novel premise that people 
don't want to be deadbeats, right? They don't want to be seen as someone who's not going to live up to their word. They want to basically do what's right, but they got into a difficult situation. You give them a self-serve platform that allows them to try to do the right thing. You support right. them in a time that they need support. And yeah, I, I would say it's definitely turning the model on its head. <laughs> exactly. And, and yeah. more than that, you know, and more are my content, uh, my manager of content and marketing strategy likes to say we lead with empathy. You know, for yeah. us, it's not the absence of of malicious intent. Like we don't talk to someone and say, hey, you're not a deadbeat. We don't even go there. Right. We oh. say, hey, you're a good person who fell on hard times. How can we figure it out? And people, this message obviously resonates with people. They don't want to be judged. They don't want fingers pointed at them. We all understand that. Yeah. Well, you've gone from an accusatory turn to one of compassion, right? Right. And it's, uh, you know, it's more often than not, even when we get negative feedback or get negative responses in my business from, from clients for whatever reason, wherever, you know, I have the same thing. I lead with empathy. I'm, you know, it may never stop to think that the reason they're being that way to you is because you've done something wrong. It could be any other thing in their daily life, especially right. in something I feel like this, right? Like, oh, thank you for reminding me that I'm going through this very difficult time of job loss, insecurity, health issues, whatever it may be. And basically just calling them up and saying, well, that's too bloody bad. You got to pay. Otherwise, we're going to do X, Y, Z to you. Like, it, right. it's just not the way. Yeah. And we do have, you know, we do have customers who call in and they're angry and they're complaining. And I tell my team, I want them to complain, but they want them to complain like they complain about Amazon. Yep. I want them to feel the company that's collecting from them, not the guys who are enabling them to do live up to their end of the bargain. Yeah, but more than that, like I want them to complain like they complain from a place of entitlement. Yeah. I am entitled to good yeah. service. Yeah. I am entitled to be treated like a human being. And I'm pissed because you guys are, I don't know what, I sent you an email and you didn't respond within three hours, which is what I expect, versus please don't sue me or please don't be aggressive with me. You yeah. see what I'm saying? Like I want people to be in that place psychologically because that's how I want them to engage with us. I want us to be a brand that they interact with, that they think of as a partner. And part of being a partner is they expect stuff of us. You know, I'm curious, the first customers you went to, I mean, specifically the people with the debts, like when, when you pitched this idea, did they think you were just on a different planet, like that you just didn't get it? Because this is a very big departure from the norm. Uh, one that, in, you know, in a human sense, makes a lot of sense. But in general, just the way these people who'd be responsible for these types of environments before, they wouldn't see the world that way, right? So what was the, yeah. what was the reaction you were getting? So you're talking about the first, the first creditors. The, the, the like first the creditors you went and spoke to. Yeah, so the, the first ones you pitched to and said, this is what we want to do for you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. For a while, we, we got laughed out of uh, offices. I mean, I would get phone calls from collectors yelling at me that what I do is illegal and I'm going to go to jail. Absolutely incorrect. But, what you know, you're doing is go to jail. Uh, yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's uh, absolutely no legs, but people say what they say. So it was a funny experience, at least in hindsight. But yeah, we found a lot of traction and I can talk about our clients publicly, but we work with some of the major banks, the biggest financial institutions, very well-known e-commerce brands and fintech brands and so on. And so people have come around to our way of thinking years ago, which is why we've been able to get to the size that we are today. Yeah. And I mean, it makes sense. You would work with some large ones first, right? Because these are people who have that or companies that have that problem. And, right. you know, to say, hey, let's give them 1% of our debt burden and, and see if they can do anything with it and see how the baseline is. Now, you got this very intriguing chart on your website that I can't find right. any studies on, but tell me, tell me about 
your control group versus your actual performance and how you guys perform uh, via the alternative? Yeah, our business is like a payment provider. Like uh, I used to work at Klarna, uh, and Klarna is uh, competing, offers a pay after delivery. I was their chief risk officer, right? And when a merchant adds Klarna as a payment option, Klarna is competing for share of wallet, right? There's Klarna, there's PayPal, there's card, uh, credit card, there's this and that. And Klarna is basically saying, hey, if you, we will convert better for you. We will increase the basket size for consumers and we will approve more than credit cards and PayPal and we will help you grow your business. And the merchant is saying, well, I'll give give you a shot. I'll give you this percent of the traffic. And if you do well, I'm going to give you more share of wallet. We're exactly the same. Mm -hmm. Meaning we compete head to head with traditional collection agencies. When we work with a major bank, the bank will give us this percent, them that percent. You know, there's more than one competitor. And as we collect more, they're like, oh, we will give you more debt on a monthly basis to work on and service. And this is the graph that you're seeing. This is what's called the liquidation rate, the percent of dollars collected out of dollars that are given to us. Mm. And since we do better than those traditional collection agencies. We get more and more business. So there looks to be a bit of a hockey stick here where the, the rate of liquidation rate increases the longer right. of, longer the placements happen. You want to speak to why there seems to be a, a slow run-up and then a positive, a positive pop? What's going on? Yeah, there? That's, a, that's a really great catch. So going back to my point about payment arrangements, when a traditional collector is on the phone with a the consumer, they want them to pay as much as possible on the phone. So if the consumer is committing to a payment plan that they can't really stick to, like I'll pay in three payments, they pay one payment and then they fall off the wagon because they could never, they felt pressured exactly. and they yeah. can really, can't really afford the second and third payment. With us, they're not pressured. Maybe they sign up for a six month payment or a 12 month payment. So they pay us less on a monthly basis. But the thing is that because we're flexible, because we work with people this way, we sign up twice as many, three times as many people. Stick to payment plans or the payment arrangements a lot more, up to twice as much compared to what an aggressive collector would get from them on the phone. So what you're seeing is this compound effect month by month as people continue paying us, but they fall off with the traditional solution. We just collect more. So in a second... I mean, the way they've done it is smart, right? Like they're, they're picking their, they're having input without pressure on what it is they feel they right. can be able to commit to. I'm sure that if they have lump sums that show up that were unexpected or they end up with more cash at the end of the month than they can, you give them the option to go ahead and, and pay that off as well. You're creating right. a routine and a habit as opposed to there's a gun to my head almost over the phone and I feel, right. I feel very uncomfortable and I just need to agree to this guy so he can leave me alone. Exactly. So tell me about the app itself from the, from the customer standpoint and tell me about like what their options look when they're being given choice. So first communication is almost always an email. We like email. It's like the, we say it's the big river that everything flows into. Email is very popular, although people who use Slack and others in, in the tech scene talk email down. It's very popular across all age groups. People love email. They use emails very actively. Also has very good real estate in terms of putting all the disclosures and all the stuff we need for regu- regulatory uh, reasons, compliance reasons. And from that point on, the system starts tracking their behavior and decides how to move across different channels and send additional follow-on notifications into additional other channels to to get people to respond uh, to our communication. Once someone clicks the link and gets to our website, they see the options that are that are available to them. Mm-hmm. That's also one of the things that's determined by a suite of uh, machine lear- learning algorithms using data from historical interactions with millions of consumers. So we may offer them an, an opportunity to pay in full. Some people do that. Settle 
for less than 100%, set up a payment plan, and the length, the different options for length of payment plan are also determined by an algorithm and their previous behavior, and down to good faith payment, a partial payment, and so on. It does not sound like a lot, but within that world of what we can offer them, there's a lot of flexibility because a lot of people who are not in the crisis right now, that are not just fighting for every dollar, that are ready to engage, it's mostly about fitting their cash flow to the requirements. And many times people work multiple jobs. They have money at nights and they want to engage in those times. I and mean, more than 25% of our engagements are in hours where a call center would not be legally allowed to operate mm-hmm. because that, that's illegal under federal rules. So people come home and they, after say their second shift and they can just engage with us and pay on their own terms. And that's the important thing fitting to their payment periods, fitting to their unreliable cash flow. And that's a lot of the negotiation. Yeah. And you're giving them feedback, right? You're showing them where they currently stand, yes. you know, how the foot the progress is. I mean, in a lot of ways that gamifies the entire thing for them to be able to, you know, get that positive feedback. And I was here, I'm here now here. This actually is starting to seem doable. It's just far more positive. So, all right. Excellent. In terms of consumer feedback, you know, the success numbers are clearly the biggest indicator that you're doing something right. Tell me what the response has been in terms of the consumers you're dealing with. Like, what's the feedback been on your general experience and what it's been like to deal with you? Well, that's the cool thing. I don't need to tell you. You can see for yourself. <laughs> Meaning, it's true. You can Google yeah. us. Look at our Google reviews. We have 4.8 stars on Google. Our collection agency has 4.8 stars. Wow. Yeah. Okay. A massive NPS. We have four stars out of five on the Better Business Bureau. People actually go to the Better, Better Business Bureau website to recommend us. And you read them. I mean, people saying, I can't believe I'm recommending a collection agency. You can see some examples in the website as well, but those are coming from actual reviews that you can see from real people. And that is just incredibly gratifying. And from our perspective, is it's almost easy for us to surprise people because what we expect is so negative. Bar is pretty low, let's be honest. Exactly. The bar is low, but to have like, you know, a 60 net promoter score in that collection sounds almost unimaginable. Yeah. For those who you don't understand net promoter score and how it works, basically it's a score as to questions, would you recommend this service to someone else? And a score of of one to 10. And basically anything, I believe it's eight, nine or 10 counts as a plus one. Anything seven and six counts as nothing. And anything below that counts as a negative one. So basically what's happening is that when you do the math, 60%, 60%, the, the 60% is the output, meaning that the vast, that the majority of people who recommend you not only are, not, not, not 60% of people are, are in eight, nine, or 10, but 60% is the end result of the people who, who said, I like these guys, minus the people who didn't, right? Like that's, that's a big number. So your number, I mean, based on that number of people who recommend you could be in the eighties or it could be in the seventies, eighties, or nineties for all we know, depending on how many people dislike you, right? So that exactly. is, that is crazy. Like for, a, you know, and this is one of the things that struck me the most when we had our initial conversation. It's like, wait a second, what? You're, you're a debt collection agency and people are like giving you NPS scores that are like hard to reach for like traditional companies. Like that's, that's pretty impressive. So, right. I mean, if we had to guess, I mean, a regular collection agency could have a negative NPS because it has a lot more detractors absolutely. than people would recommend it. Yeah. Now, I mean, I have to think the level of the companies you're dealing with, I mean, besides the fact that you're, you're collecting money on their behalf and they're seeing a higher compliance rate because of that, they, frankly, the way you're handling people has mm-hmm. to have some sort of kind of brand equity for them, right? They're not hiring guys to basically threaten to come to their doors, for lack of a better term, the worst case scenario. 
they're hiring people who basically are respecting the client in order to help them get to their end goal. What's the feedback from the companies you're dealing with in terms of how you help their brand equity? So that is, people sometimes ask me, what are the, uh, the biggest surprises you've had? And that has been my biggest surprise. And I don't think, I, it's, not, it's not malicious. It's not like people don't care about consumers in debt, but from, a, from an incentive perspective, it's not like major banks or financial institutions calculate NPS and recoveries. We do, yeah. they don't. So nobody's walking around and saying, hey, what's our NPS? Do people like the experience and so on? We're changing that. We're absolutely changing that, but it hasn't been part of the overall narrative, unfortunately. I think it's going to become, you know, we're committed to that and over time that's going to happen. And what I can tell you is they come to us and they say, well, you have a fraction of the complaints and other issues that other collectors have. What do you do? A company your size needs 20 lawyers. How many you do you have? Well, we, we have one-ish. Um, <laughs> how do you do that? Well... That's how we do it. And, you know, it's kind of, we're looking for the inroads. We're looking for the inroads to have that discussion. Of course, fintechs are, care about that a lot. E-commerce companies care about that a lot. And that we get a lot of feedback, a lot of positive feedback around that. But the major financial institutions, it's still a process. They're not hardware. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. They're not hardware to think that. And, and if anything, right. they're, they're looking at the end result, which is higher collections, lower complaints, but not tying it back to the fact that, oh, you guys have enhanced our client experience, right? I mean, I think that speaks a lot to their entire concept of client experience in the first place, but it's interesting. So if you're not paying commission to the people who work for you, so how are you charging for this? Like how, how are you making money off of uh, all this service? As a company, we are paid predominantly on commission, mm-hmm. meaning a percentage of the dollars that we're, that we're collecting. However, it's not, not tied to any individual's performance. So no individual can actually do anything that will encourage abuse, meaning nobody is incentivized to pressure people more in order to collect more. No single person can submit a code change or a behavioral logic change that will pressure people more. Not to mention that we hire people for caring about the mission and caring about user experience. So they're just not going to do it. So even though we're paid for success, nobody in the team is incentivized to do that on their own. So it's more about improving the user experience. The positive thing for us that we've discovered over the years is that by far, if we improve user experience, we do a better job. We collect better. It is not about harassing people more effectively, which is where, you know, a cynic would go. Absolutely. And that's exactly, you know, why would you want to work with the person makes your life difficult? It's an interesting challenge as I was thinking about as you were talking about your model. I mean, you have a variable performance-based compensation at the top line of the company. And the way that that risk is de-aggregated in traditional companies is to push that type of risk down to the actual employees, right? That's right. Um, That's right. You, yeah. You, on the, other, on the other hand, your employees become a fixed cost because essentially they're, lack of a better term, a fixed cost because essentially they're, they're all salaried. And I think traditionally back in the day before technology existed, this model may not have worked because with the high fixed cost and variable top line, you would have had yep. that line crossed. But because you're enabling this through technology, lowering your overhead costs on staffing, you're able to potentially create a wider margin. I'm guessing you, you employ far fewer people than the average yes. collection agency. Absolutely. A fraction of the number of people of, of the call center employees. Of course, we turn around and, and we pay a bunch of uh, talented and expensive engineers and data scientists and product managers and, and a bunch of others because we want to continue to improve our, our system. But yeah, from a unit economics perspective, uh, we, we look completely different at traditional agency. 
Yeah, and you can ratchet up and ratchet down that spend on development as as variability right. hits. But yeah, that's so. How long have you been at this now? So we raised our first round at the end of 2013, and we launched to the public in the end of 2014. So six years, kind of working full time. Six years, and frankly, the chart makes it look like your orders of magnitude and success, more successful than the alternatives. So, you know, what what a novel idea that treating people like people is going to be going to be a profitable endeavor, <laughs> and using technology to do it. So, we, we needed to be in the right intersection between understanding compliance, caring about the problem, and knowing how to use technology to solve it. But that makes sense. I mean, the reality is the average consumer spends about seventy percent of the time online before they make a purchase, right? And mm-hmm. so that decision is being made online. You just basically took it something that never existed in the online realm and moved it back to the online realm, moved it to the online realm and given that same kind of the your freedom. So before we wrap up, there's three questions I ask everyone on the podcast. The first question is, if you had one wish for something you could change in your industry or in your company, what would it be? If there's one thing I could change is I would change the mindset of some of the major financial institutions. and. If I could, you know, wave a wand and get make everyone in collections and recoveries care about user experience and the same set of values that uh, that we care about and about using technology, I would do that. Uh, we have been leading the charge almost on our own for six years now, and finally, we're seeing a new rule coming from the federal government that we helped. We didn't write it, but we provided data for and so on. So we're hopeful that that's going to change behavior because when the rules change, everybody changes their behavior. I would love for all of us to just talk about user experience and technology and PS and how to service consumers better. And that's not the case right now. And again, not because people are bad people, it's because incentives are misaligned. And I would love for them to be aligned around that. I'm going to misquote it, but I believe it was Charlie Munger who said, if you work on incentives, work on nothing else. And so true because so many of the negative outcomes in this world are driven by incentives being misaligned with outcomes. Yeah, so I I agree with you. I mean, I I think it takes a, uh, I won't call it generational shift, but at least a management cycle shift to come to understand that the way things were wasn't necessarily the right way. And yeah, it may have worked, but it can work better, especially if you treat people with respect. For those of you listening, if you hear any uh, childlike noises, my daughter has joined us. Um, She refuses to sit outside, so she might chime up at some point. So the second question I ask is, what's been the biggest challenge in getting to where you are today with this company? Biggest challenge is, and we knew it coming in, Compliance. Compliance, um, not being compliant, but just in some cases, the compliance theater. It's not the laws. It's how people choose to interpret them in different ways in different organizations. And especially in the debt collection industry where a lot is impacted by case law and not just rules, but also there are laws on a state level basis, sometimes on a city level basis. That complexity, now that we've surmounted it, it's a competitive advantage and it's going to make it harder for people to compete with us and build our, the technology that we have. But it's been really challenging. It's not a type of company that can 10x in one year, meaning even if I had business to 10x in one year, I would not because I just couldn't service everything in a compliant way and just onboard all of those banks. So I can double, I can triple, but uh, probably not more than that. And that's what we're sticking to. And even that is very challenging for a team of really seasoned operators that we've built. That makes sense. I mean, regulation at the scale of, you know, not just, as you said, state level, but getting down to some city levels, every one of those is a use case. And right. but, I mean, the good news is, is you make up for the, um, for the lack of ability to take on multiple, more clients faster by the hockey stick that you have at the end of your collection cycle. So that, that works out. Yeah. 
and negative negative churn, meaning we're growing really fast with existing clients because everything is working very well for them. No, I think uh, based on your metrics, if uh, anyone, if you didn't have a negative churn, I'd be very surprised. But uh, the, so the, the next, uh, and well, sorry, last question I have is what excites you the most about what you're working on and gets you up in the morning to keep doing what it is you're doing? Oh, so many things, so many things. But if, if I had to dilute it to, or not dilute it, to distill it into one thing, it would be, we have a channel on Slack called True Compliments. And every day, people who are, you know, they work the floor, they look at the data, they post comments from people who've gone through our process and just express thanks for our service, for what we do for them, for how we impacted their lives. We even have that, a little bit of that on our, on our website, a little bit more deeper stories. And it's just touching. And it just feels, that, uh, it feels like everything that we do, every aggressive phone call that we replace with an email or with a text message or, or with an online interaction impacts people in a positive way. And at the end of the day, that is the biggest reward for me. Of course, business growth and all this stuff, it's great. But feeling like we're actually making a difference every day, that's incredible. Yeah, I, I can I can definitely understand that in the world you're in. I mean, this podcast is hopefully a valuable lesson to people that even in what appears to be the most adversarial of, of situations, there's always room to find humanity and to get a better outcome for everybody. So, uh, so good work. Keep doing what you're doing. It's, it's, it's clearly, you know, I never thought, again, you know, you said the realization that I'm, I'm complimenting a debt collection service for, for what they're doing, but you're doing it because of humanity. So that's, that's fantastic. Keep it up. And I wish you nothing but the best of luck. Absolutely. Thank you very much for your time. And uh, this has been fun. And uh, sure, we'll talk, soon. we'll talk more in the future. Absolutely. I hope you found that even the most traditionally adversarial of relationships, there's definite room for improvement, especially when we respect each other, maybe even do so digitally. And with that, as always, I'm your host, Jason Pereira. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you did, please a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever it is you eat your podcast. Until next time, take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or find more episodes at fintechimpact.co.